It's one that I think a lot about when I think of New Year's. And then looking ahead in January, we're going to also take a little break from the Sermon on the Mount. We will return. But um, want to be able to stop and think, if you, if you look at the church's website, a, a, a quick summary of our church, we, it'll say on there, it says, loving God and loving others. We're going to take about four weeks in January to think about what that is, loving God and loving others. That's looking ahead. For today, we're going to be uh, in the book of Philippians. But I know about you, sometimes when I'm traveling, I experience this really strange sensation. I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I have absolutely no idea where I am. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever, ever been there? You wake up and you're like, where am I? Um, I'm clueless where I am. In fact, if I'm really tired, the same thing can happen at home. Um, and that's okay, but, but for me, you know, I have trouble sleeping when there's light in the room. So I want the room pitch black. I don't want any lights on. It, I, it, it disturbs my sleep. So, so I wake up, I don't know where I am. That can be trouble. Because for me, when I wake up in the middle of the night, there's usually a reason. It's usually the bathroom calling. And I get up and I'm looking for the door. I don't know where I am. It's not a good thing. I don't know if you can relate at all to that. You're probably asking yourself, well, Joe, what does that have to do with worshiping on a Sunday? I'm glad you asked. You see, my problem, my problem of stumbling around in the, in the darkness of my bedroom in the middle of the night, it all has to do with I don't know where I am. Friend, if you don't know where you are, you can't possibly know where you're going. It's very difficult, at least. Do you know where you're going spiritually? Where, where are you heading? As long as we're asking questions, here's one more. How are you getting there? Because some have the idea that God's plan for them is like this, that God, God saves us, and then now you just kind of go with the flow, K sirrah sirrah, whatever will be will be. I'm saved, and all that—that's all that matters. In fact, some of you might be living your life like the race is already done. Your faith looks more like an easy chair. It is very possible to be coasting in our faith. I mean, sometimes we want, we want to bike downhill to the finish line, but I've got news for you. Our path to becoming more like Jesus is uphill. And if you're coasting, I'm afraid that means you could be going the wrong way. Now, others of you are running this race. You are serious, you're sold out, and you run the race hard. But could you be running that race in your own strength? Perhaps the reason you're running so hard is that you think it all depends on you. May God open all of our eyes this morning as we look at his word 
Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. But before we read together, could we pray together one more time? Father God, we stop and we pause and we bow before you. We pray, God, that your spirit would teach us. Not the words of a man, not mere words, but God, your word and your spirit. May your word challenge all of those who need to be challenged. May your word comfort those who need comfort. May your spirit convict those who need conviction. And may you save those in need of salvation. Open our eyes, open, open our minds, open our hearts. Speak, God. May we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 7 to verse 21. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Friends, there's a lot here in this text 
and we're going to just try to get through as much of it as we can. We jump in again, kind of in the middle of a text. It's good to think back, well, what has Paul been talking about? In the chapter 3, you could summarize verses 1 through 6, what, we, what was right before this, as Paul talking about confidence in the flesh. Confidence in the flesh. In other words, what is good in me or why God should accept me? And verse 4 through 6 is kind of like Paul's personal CV. A list of stuff people would fill in. The reason Paul was great, capable, and sufficient. Here's a question to ask yourself. Why are you great, capable, or sufficient? Or we could swing that 180 degrees around and I could ask you, why are you worthless, incapable, or insignificant? We have this terrible tendency to either overinflate ourselves or completely abase ourselves. Because the answer to this question is critical. It's a very important answer. And most of us, we have it wrong. We have the wrong answer because we're looking the wrong direction. And this text, verses, verses 7 through the end of the chapter 21, is encouraging us to be looking in the right direction. Paul's going to bring this up when he talks about forgetting what is behind and reaching forward. You see, some of us, our life is absorbed and preoccupied with what is behind us. It's like some of you have a, have a car and you're driving down the road, except you can't see what's going out the front because you have a rear view mirror that is this big. You know what I'm talking about? And all you see is the past. Looking backwards will never get us where we need to go. Past sin, past brokenness, past hurt. It's so easy. That is all we see. That is where our, our mind keeps going back to. Or, or sometimes we're looking, we're looking inwards. I'm looking inside for answers. I'm looking inside for strength, for comfort, for affirmation. Instead of looking in the rearview mirror, I'm, I'm looking in the mirror. And friends, that's never going to help. That's not going to help. You see, where we need to be looking is Christwards. That is where we need to set our, our, our focus. And that is where Paul takes us in verses 7 through 11. He's talking in verses 7 through 11 about salvation. And he's talking about righteousness only by faith. In other words, the only way we can stand right before God is by trusting in his provision for salvation. Ours will never do. So verse 7 through 11 is salvation. Verses 12 through 16 is sanctification. They sound alike, but they're very different. Salvation happens once in a moment of time. We are, we are, we're taken from the kingdom of darkness and we're placed in the kingdom of God. We are, we're over here, we're enemies, and now we're made children. We are lost 
and now we're found. That is salvation, okay? Salvation happens once in an instant of time. Now, sanctification, we sometimes confuse and blur the two, but it's very important. Sanctification is the process of those who are saved, those who are God's children, of them becoming more like Jesus. You see, that is why God saves us. Many people are saved because they don't want to go to hell. Well, that's understandable. But God saves so he can create his goodness, his grace, his power, his life in you. And God is after a conquest of you. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. And that process of sanctification, it doesn't happen in a moment, friends. And it doesn't happen by somebody waving a wand over us either. It is a lifetime process. It is us dying to self. It is us learning to follow, learning to trust. Sanctification is a lifetime. And lastly, 17 through 21, Paul invites us to to look to his embrace. There's an exhortation, a warning, and a blessed hope. Let's take a little closer look at the text. I never did really good in math. Math was a real struggle for me. A lot of things in school were a struggle for me, but math was really hard. But I see in what Paul brings out in the, in the previous verses. Go back to verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul starts adding up all the things he, he, he was. And it kind of looks like a mathematical problem. It would look like this. A plus B plus C plus D plus E, F. So is less than, you know the less than sign? It'd be like, you know that? The thing that looks like an alligator? A plus B plus C plus C is less than X. And the A, C, B, A, B, C, D, E, F is Paul's pedigree, his nationality, his education accomplishments, honors, wealth, hobbies, goals, my dreams, my aspirations, my desires, all this stuff, the stuff that we kind of like to identify ourselves as. But Paul is saying, that's all less than the excellency of knowing Christ. Now, some of us have a problem. We get that little alligator thing, we turn it the wrong way. And we say what we are, our aspirations, our goals, our desires, our accomplishments is actually greater. We might not say that out loud. We probably wouldn't say that out loud. But in our heart. But Paul's going to bring up the past here too. And friends, this is also important. Because sometimes we hold up all the good things that we are, the things, and we say, wow, this, is, this makes me special, this makes me good. Maybe God likes me because I do my devotions. But other times, the A plus B plus C plus D, instead of pedigree and nationality and honors, it's my failures. My failures plus my sins, plus my fears, plus my shame plus my sinful desires, 
plus my guilt and my mistakes and my coldness and my waywardness. My brokenness. Friend, I ask you this morning, is that greater or is that less than the excellency of Jesus Christ? You tell me which is greater. Some of you are stuck here. You notice I, I didn't say which feels greater. I didn't say which one feels greater because right there we can get in big trouble. Friends, many times in my life I feel that those things are greater in my life. But which do I believe is greater? Which do you believe is greater? Because if you're a child of God and you believe, your sins and your guilt and your mistakes and your fears are greater than the surpassing knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, you're believing a lie. And this is a challenge that Paul is giving to us that we can lay hold of what, what he is saying. So, so we go on. Paul says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. These things are, are, are worthless to me. I don't identify myself by my accomplishments. But friends, we should also not identify ourselves by what we have failed to do. We need to identify ourselves by what God has done in our lives. And Paul, if you look at verses 9, 10, we see this, this deep desire in the life of the Apostle Paul. He says, I desire to gain Christ. What does that mean? He desires to want to grow in Christ. Again, this is not talking about salvation. This is talking about sanctification because we know our salvation is complete. We can't add to that. But what Paul's saying is, I want to grow more like Jesus and I don't care what it costs. I don't care. He counts it as, as rubbish. It's actually a more base word than that. I count it that which I flushed down the toilet. It doesn't mean a thing to me anymore. You know why? It's not because those things are worthless. It's not because those things have no meaning. It's because Christ is so amazing. He is that pearl of great price that we sell everything for and it's worth it. It's a deep yearning. It's a deep thirst, a deep hunger to be more like Jesus. And Paul's saying whatever it takes. You know what my problem is? It's probably your problem too. You and I have a tendency to see sanctification like a menu at a really expensive restaurant. And we're like, wow, this is going to cost a lot. I think I'll just have water. <laughs> this costs a lot. 
It'll cost me my reputation. It'll cost me my time. It'll, it'll cost me... You fill in the blank. What will it cost you? You know what you don't want to surrender. You know what you think, no, 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 I, that's not worth that. No, thanks. I'll just have water. Friends, no. No. Come and dine. Come and dine. You know what? It has been paid for. It has been paid for in full. And, the, and that, that path to growing more like Jesus, it scares us and it looks like it's going to cost so much. No. Jesus said this, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Oh, the things that we fear so often are, are, are the very steps that God is going to lead us down to transform us, to becoming the people that we long to be. The things that we fear are going to happen, no, actually God takes that and uses it to transform me more into his image. Eat and drink of the fullness of God. I'm challenged by what Hudson Taylor, a man who served most of his life as a missionary in China many years ago, said. He wrote this, There is a need, needs be for us to give ourselves for the life of the world. Fruit-bearing involves cross-bearing. Except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. We know how the Lord Jesus became fruitful, not by bearing his cross only, but by dying on it. Do we know much of the fellowship with him in this? There are not two Christs, an easygoing Christ for easygoing Christians, and a suffering, toiling Christ for the exceptional believer. There's only one Christ. Are we willing to abide in him and so to bear fruit? Well, one of the things that comforts me about this passage, these verses in Philippians, is that, that Paul says so very plainly that this is his aspiration. This is what he wants. But look at verse 12. I've not arrived or obtained. I'm not there, he says. I'm not the person I want to be. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not the child of God that I should be. Someone once said that. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I should be. But I praise God that by his grace, I'm not what I used to be. But let that change keep continuing. And I love what he says here. He says, he says I press on to make it. I'm, I'm, I'm determined. I want to do this. But why? Verse 13, don't miss verse 13. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. Do you see, sorry, verse 13 or 12. I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ has made me his own. 
Friends, this is so, so important. When we are going to live our life for Christ, we do it because of what he has done. We're not doing it for salvation. We're doing it out of gratitude and that we're doing it in God's strength. I'd encourage you, make, make verses 12 and 13 and 14. Make this your meditation. Make this your prayer in the coming year. Turn to God and say, God, God, make this my desire. I really don't desire this. I, I, I need help. I need I need strength. Take an inventory of your life. Ask yourself, what's competing for this in your heart? You and I need to learn to be able to do what Paul says. He says, he says forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward. Paul is making a, a, a conscious decision to forget. You see, you and I, we need to be a little bit more like a, an ice hockey goalie or a soccer goalie. One of the most important things a goalie must have is a bad memory. Because they get scored on, something goes wrong, and they just got to forget it. But for some of us, forgetting is hard. In fact, how do we forget? Some of us have sinful past. For some of us, our past is unforgettable. What does it look like to forget? Friends, our focus needs to be redirected. Not on forgetting, but on remembering. I'm so grateful that, that, that even though our past is there, we are not chained to our past, and God does not identify us with our past, nor we should not. Brothers, sisters, are you choosing to remember what God has forgotten? And are you bound again by God's grace? We need to look past that rearview mirror. And the best way to do that is to see the future, to see what God has, what he's done for us. It's hard, though. It's hard because... Sometimes the past is so dominating. And in my life, this is how my past has been. Sin works like this. At some point in all of our lives, we embrace something, something cute, warm, and cuddly. We at least looked, it looked warm, cute, and cuddly. And maybe someone warned us against it. Maybe we knew better. Maybe we were deceived or we deceived ourselves. But that warm, cute, cuddly thing, it wasn't a sheep. It was a wolf in sheep's clothing. We were deceived. It was a wolf. What looked like a sheep was actually a wolf. You see, sin tells us it will, it will fulfill us, it will make us happy, it will satisfy you know, the Bible even says that sin is pleasant for a season. It kind of it works for a while, but eventually it shows its fangs. For some of you, that wolf's name is bitterness. For some of you, that wolf's name is regret. For some of you, that wolf's name is shame or fear. And it's back there, and it feels like we're, we're, it would never never will let us go. 
the good news of the gospel is for those who are in Christ, that wolf has been caged. That wolf has been caged. That wolf no longer has power over the believer. Oh yes, we still sin. But we no longer have to sin. Sin like the wolf has been caged. The thing is though, even though it's caged, sometimes that wolf still shows its teeth, doesn't it? Sometimes it howls. In fact, more than that, sometimes, sometimes it mocks, sometimes it laughs. In fact, sometimes when I stop thinking and when you stop thinking, sometimes that wolf looks like a sheep. You know what I'm talking about. It's like the wolf is saying, hey, let's go out and play. I'm fun. I'm cuddly. No, 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 no. That wolf is deadly. The wolf wants to go for your throat and mine. And this is where we're experiencing sin is so dangerous because that allurement, especially when we stop thinking, the allurement of pleasure or, or comfort, it likes to bypass our mind and our reason. This is so much why you and I need to have our mind renewed. We can know truth, but our desire to feel wants to bypass our mind. This is why, why God's word is so important to me. Why, why I need to remember what is true. We need to remember God's faithfulness, God's goodness, and God's redemption. When we really see these things, it, everything else becomes background noise. Friend, the passage closes. The idea of reaching forward with, with three, three reminders, just starting verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Three last things. There's an example, a warning, and a blessed hope. Paul says, join in imitating me. And keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Do you have any good examples in your life? People that you say, wow. That person, I see Christ at work in their life. We all should pursue relationships with that as a component next year. Like the people that are going to spur us on, the people that, that are going to help us grow in our faith. I mean, call it what you want. There's plenty of people in our church like this. Not perfect people, granted, but people who are walking in faith, call this mentorship, discipleship, friendship, call it, call it my fika friend. I don't care what you call it. You don't have to call it anything. But spend time with godly people. That will change us. I mean, we don't imitate the whole package, by the way. People are flawed, right? So we just imitate the good parts and we kind of sift through that because all of us are a work in progress. On that level, can I ask you? Are you worth imitating? 
If not, why not? Are you example to the world around you, to the, to the church you attend, to your family, to your coworkers? Because the question is not, are you an example or not? The question is, what kind of example are you? Because we're all an example, whether a good example or a bad example. We want our lives to be pointing others to Jesus. And if they're not, we need to make some changes. Because the answer to the question is just, does my life match my words? You profess faith in Christ. Are you living it? You know, and all of us should hang our heads and confess, no, I failed to live out the gospel. I've been hypocritical. I've been selfish. I've chosen self. I've, I've denied my Savior. And, but friends, when and where this is true in our lives, we, we turn to Jesus. And we say, God, give me help. I, wanna, I want to follow you. To be an example does not mean we're perfect. And some of us are paralyzed by sin. You're stuck. Condemnation is the clothing you wear. Oh, friends, you need a new wardrobe. In the oddest sort of way, we get accustomed to condemnation or we, or we get accustomed to low living and we just, well, that's just how it is. We can be accustomed to being lukewarm. Friends, it's time to switch clothes. Put on the robes of Jesus Christ's righteousness and be what God has called you to be. Yes, it's a lifetime work, but we can take a step forward by God's grace. Verse 18 and 19, Paul gives a warning. He describes those people that, 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 that are pushing another gospel. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. They're characterized by, by a carnality. They, they, they care what, what satisfies them. May that not be us. But here, Paul anchors his whole exhortation in verses 20 and 21 but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subdue all things to himself? Now, some of you are young. You think, ah, oh, my body is pretty, it's not glorious, but, you know, it's pretty good. You get to be my age, and you think, wow, that sounds good. Transform. But more than just our flesh and bone, he's going he's gonna to transform us completely. Did you catch that last part? Who's able to subdue all things. Friend, that part of your life that you think is not possible to subdue, yeah, it is. Jesus Christ wants to do that. Think, no, 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 no. I, this, is, this, is, this is untouchable. This is unthinkable. I'm, I'm so broken here. No, that's not what the gospel says. It doesn't say our citizenship will be in heaven. Do you notice that? It is. Right now. 
The passport is our faith in Christ. It is the grace of God. It is work based on the finished work of the cross. Friends, where are you looking? You see, this is looking Christward. This is looking up to his embrace. Where's your glance? You know, uh, most of you know this. My, my, my daughter just got engaged um, and excited. She'll be getting married this year, I think. And uh, let me tell you, it's quite a thing to see her looking at her husband because when she looks at her husband, her face is glowing. Well, friends, that's how we should be with Jesus. We see how good he is. We see the power of the gospel. We see his love. And we think, I can come there. And he's not looking at us saying, oh. no, 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 no. He's saying, you are my child. Are we embracing his embrace? Are you looking backwards? Are you looking inwards? Or are you looking Christwards? Looking to his grace, looking to his word, and looking to his embrace. Close with uh, the words of a song. I think we've sung this sometimes. I really appreciate these words. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. Brothers and sisters, let's make that our prayer. 2024, may we believe that God wants to make this a year where he draws us to himself. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. Oh God, we know that our hope is not in ourselves. God, we are so aware that of what we cannot do and what we fail. God, we readily pray with Paul We've not obtained this. We know that we're not perfect. But God, we want to press on. God, we want to receive the embrace that you made for us. God, I pray for grace in my life, in my brother's and sister's life, to forget what lies behind. God, I ask for your help to run forward, to strain forward to what lies ahead. God, give us the desire, the passion, the persistence. God, give us the power to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Lord God, we, we need you in order to do this. We cannot do this on our own. But Lord God, we ask for the resolve. We ask for the grace. Oh God, may we seek help. May we seek you. And God, may you be glorified in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.